You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. And we are so excited to have a returning guest with us for this episode, Meg Wallace, who you might remember talked with us recently about the one things that she believes will destroy our home. Well, when we had that conversation, she referenced an earlier article that was essentially part one to the essay that we talked about, and that one focused on marriage. So she's here with us today to revisit those thoughts on the one thing that's guaranteed to end a marriage. Welcome, Meg. Hi, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me again. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you back. So many, we've gotten so much feedback on that first. If you haven't listened, I highly recommend you stop right now. Go back and find the one thing that will destroy your relationship with your children, your home, Mm -hmm. and listen to that, and then we'll pick up here. Yeah, Meg's full of grace and truth. Uh, So it's, it's great to have you back. Just to remind everybody, in case they haven't heard that first episode, just tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. Yeah, so I am a wife of, well, it's been over 20 years now. Um, my husband, Matt, he's been a pastor for our whole marriage. And I've got seven kids, which I know I guess I told you guys the last time the story of infertility, where we were told we would never have children. So it's kind of funny now that we have seven. People always ask, did we plan this? And there's no plan in any of this, but I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the whole world. But, you know, the days are kind of crazy and um, filled with lots and lots of activities, but but I wouldn't trade it. So, yeah, we live in South Texas. We're in a little town kind of uh, called, it's Bulverde, but it's like north of San Antonio. So we say San Antonio, but we're not actually in San Antonio. We're kind of in like a small country area that's just north of San Antonio. So, yeah, we're here now. Awesome. Meg, full of wisdom, is also full of practical advice. And she told us she has a potty training um, I don't know, book, curriculum? Tell us what you have, Meg. What have you written? It's, yeah, it's actually an online course. So I've helped throughout the years, hundreds of moms. But it got to the point where it was, t- it was so time consuming, I just decided to make a course. But it is by far the best thing I have ever encountered. Um, I started this method with my oldest daughter, Kate. And there were a couple, you know, I told you guys that we were infertile. We didn't have kids until after all of our friends did. And so listening to them kind of talk really poorly about potty training stage kind of made me want to look for something different. And so I came across this book. It was out of something, I think the seventies and it was, a, it was 25 cents out of a used bookstore discount bin. And I picked it up and I thought, uh, it's 25 cents, babe, do you have a quarter? We bought it that day. And I read through the whole thing. Now I didn't love all of it. So I'm, I have the book listed on my website, but I I don't actually recommend the book. There are things about it that I didn't love, um, like disciplining when a child doesn't do well in potty training. I'm not a fan of that at all. So this potty training method is not only effective, but it is fun. Like the people that I've trained say this is the best day of their parenting journey. Like it, it really can be that fun. So I walk through the steps of how to prepare what you need to look for as far as signs of readiness, and then what steps for that day to really train. I mean, it's done by the end of the day. And my last two, my sixth and seventh child, I trained them both in the same day. That's how, that's how easy. 
touching. Oh my yeah. goodness. It's golden. It's golden. <laughs> so I combined some other training practices that I use in the everyday as far as motherhood. That one I did write a book about. It's a book called With All Joy. And it's just about preventative training of our children instead of just waiting until they do something wrong and discipline them. It really is about teaching ahead of time expectation. And so you take that same concept, put it in the form of potty training. And it's like this, people would say the first child, they're like, oh, you lucked out. And then the second one, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it again. You're like, oh, you just lucked out again. The third one, I did it again, potty trained in one day. They're like, oh, three times. Like, it's just luck. Well, by the sixth and seventh, I'm like, really? Is it luck? I mean, come on. Like there's gotta be some credit. So after the seventh, I finally made this course. So yeah. I just feel having talked to you for a few hours now that I would love to hear more about what you have to say about preventative discipline and about potty training, mm-hmm. which I dreaded with my whole being. Yeah. <laughs> we you know, my own. And, and rightly so it's gross. It can be really uncomfortable. It can be maddening. Like I've heard, I've heard the horror stories. I just don't have them. It's just, yeah. it's been amazing. Yeah. So we'll definitely, you have a, you have a website where they are. Uh-huh. Yeah. What's your yeah, website? So that website and we can link in show notes too, right? Yes. So my yeah. normal website is just my name, megmariewallace.com. My potty training website is pottytrainingday.com. And then if they're interested in that book, there's a link. I have a little shop for the book that I wrote on preventative training. So that's in the, in the uh, little store on my website. So in our last conversation, um, I talked about a description of being hard hearted, which I think would be helpful. Um, to start off today's episode, hardness of heart is mentioned a lot in scripture. And the basic idea seems to be um, one of stubbornness and rebellion, a refusal to be sensitive, trusting, and responsive. So although we might tend to think of Pharaoh and the Israelites in Egypt who famously had a hard heart and wouldn't let the Israelite slaves leave, leave Egypt, I think hardness of heart can inevitably be expressed both toward God and humans. And it's always easier to say someone else has a hard heart than it is to say we <laughs> do. I was that Israelite. I wouldn't have been so stubborn. <laughs> really, really. <laughs> That's so true. So, okay. So this first piece that you wrote, the first essay that appeared, um, was it in forevermom.com? It's been several places. I think it's been syndicated here and there. Yeah. Um, was essentially about your parents' divorce. Yeah. Right? So tell us how you came to write it, what that story was, and how you got this whole idea of the one thing that would destroy your marriage. You know, this one is is kind of a different article. For me, you know, I think when I first started blogging, I labored over what I would write and how I would write it. And would it come across how I intended? Would it be what I really wanted it to say? Trying to find my voice and, and all of that. It was a little bit of a steep learning curve. I like to be a little bit more private and then putting things out there that I had written felt very unnerving for me. I was terrified. And even speaking, I mean, even right now, my heart flutters. I just get kind of nervous. Like it's not my natural bent. I remember telling my husband when we first got engaged, like, I will marry you, but don't ever, ever put me on a stage. And he has held true to that. He has never forced me to do anything public. But this one article, I woke up the morning of, and if you read the article, you'll, you'll see, like I wrote this, um, immediately after finding out the news that my parents' divorce was final. I wrote this article in less than an hour. I didn't really think about it. I just sort of put out there what was just building in my heart. I think it had been building for a number of months, but I hadn't taken the time to kind of sit it out and like sit down and write it all out. 
until that moment. And it just kind of flowed out of me. So it's odd that this went viral. I can't explain why or how, like I would have thought maybe the others that I would have put so much time and attention, (laughs) but this one, I think just resonated with a lot of people. And I just think it's the Lord's grace. I don't know um, how to write anything viral. I'm not pursuing that. It's just, I think the Lord just sort of used that moment of just brokenness of just grieving the loss of my parents' marriage and pouring out my heart of like what I kind of saw, because it's not just about their marriage. It was actually comparing their marriage to one of my best friend's marriage also, because both of them had the same type of circumstances. When you listen to both stories, um, both of them had an adulterous relationship, both stories, like both couples described it in ways that it started very slow, very minor, either their needs weren't being met or their expectations weren't being met. Both stories played out on a very, very similar timeline. And yet that day, my parents' marriage ended. And here I'm about to go have lunch with my one of my best friends and her marriage is thriving. So in that moment of just my mind kind of being blown, like, how did we get here? How did this, how did this, it's so final, right? I mean, I got the phone call from my sister, like the divorce is done and it's so final. Like I, I just couldn't really wrap my head around it. So, you know, as I went to go meet, my one of my best friends, I, I just was troubled, I think, in my heart. And it just poured out of me like this article. And what is the difference? It's not adultery. I mean, both couples dealt with adultery. It's not the anger. I mean, I saw both couples deal with anger. It's not forgiveness. Like it's not all of these things that are circumstantial. It really is the heart. And you can have one person that really, really wants to make it work and soften their heart and do everything they can. And if the other doesn't match that, it's over. It's over. So it's just crazy. It was not um, what I expected as far as the response from people reading it. But I do think that it's been a blessing, you know, just to be able to recognize in all of our hearts how easily all of us can harden, myself included. Yeah. And that's what I took away from our first conversation is, you know, none of us is immune. You know, many times in scripture, we're told to guard our hearts. And that's, that is why, because uh, none of us is immune to that hardening toward our children, toward our spouse, toward our, whoever um, has harmed us um, and hurt us. You had kind of an exhausted list that we thought would be good to go down and then maybe just stop at some of them. Sure. Um Kind of like the last, just kind of walk through it. Yeah, yeah, like the last one. So a list of the ways that hardness of heart can show up in a marriage, basically. Right, Bonnie? Uh-huh. What are some of your favorites? You know, you wrote it. <laughs> I mean, we've got the list. The list that... is long. It's like 20-something things long. Uh-huh. I know, and it's kind of like the other one with motherhood. When you kind of go down that trail of really thinking through where where are the points in marriage? And again, we've been married 20 years. My parents were married over 40 years. Like when you really look at the different circumstances life presents, whether it be just learning how to be married in the beginning and then adding on kids and adding on moving, adding on health struggles, whatever it might be, there's so many opportunities for any of us to turn. And that turning of just closing off your heart, I mean, we described all of that with motherhood, but the same is true with marriage. At any point, whether it be a tiny issue or whether it be a massive issue, at any point, any of us can just say, no, I'm done. Like I'm closed off. I am no longer willing to work through this. Um, I don't care anymore, you know, whatever it might be. But 
So the the lists are long, but I always laughed. It's like, honestly, they could have been longer. Like I think in my own <laughs> my own story of like where I've hardened my heart or yeah, watching my parents' marriage or watching my friend's marriage or watching, you know, even my spouse toward me at times like, oh, there it is. Like it's, it could have been longer. So I know it's long so we can work through it. But yeah, these are just, it's just a snapshot of real, of real life, you know. The, the first one on here is lacking genuine sorrow over sin. And that one, that one just kind of struck me because I do think that I know I, I can't speak for everyone, but I personally have had a tendency to blow off my sin. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, I have a good reason for it or my sin's not as bad. Um, so how do you, how do you guard against that? How do you have genuine sorrow over sin? You know, this is a little bit of a story. So if you're okay with it, um, for me personally, I think it is a matter of perspective. I, when I first had my daughter, you know, I told you guys in the last episode that I didn't, I was promised that I'd never have children. Like my doctors told us you will never have children. So I remember describing to you just the the joy that really has never gone away of finally getting to have what was told, you know, I was told I'd never have. But I remember going into the hospital and telling them I'm in labor, I'm in labor. And it was my first baby. And they don't, you know, they don't really listen to you the first round. So I was only dilated to a two. And I just remember feeling really left alone. They put me in triage. I really didn't even get a delivery room. And um, I went from a two to a 10 in 40 minutes. And no one, no one I know, right? This is not fair. No, I was begging for an epidural, but there wasn't time. My husband basically caught our first child because doctors were running down the hall. They just didn't believe me. So there was no pain medicine. There was no help. I was pleading for it, going from a two to a 10 in that short amount of time. I was hurting really badly. But I just remember at the end of that, sort of all these life lessons flooding into my mind about waiting on the Lord for his timing, waiting for his provision, like longing for this thing and yet wanting so bad to have this gift and yet not worshiping the giver. I mean, so many life lessons in that time. But one of them also is the payment of sin. Like when I, when I experienced that degree of pain, like physical pain, it made me realize, you know, part of the curse for Eve in the garden was pain and childbirth was to be increased. And this was for one sin. And I couldn't wrap my head around that degree of pain that I'd never known before that time was the cost for all women, for all my, like, I was thinking, why I should be in the newspaper. Like, this was a big deal. This is so hard. And yet it's just a normal, how many women have babies every single day? And it's just the thing. But yet we all experience that degree of pain. So it just was baffling to my mind to be able to wrap my head around. That was for one, one sin. One turning of her hardening her heart to the Lord cost women that amount of pain for the rest of mankind, right? So for me, it is just that recognition of what it actually costs, not only women, but for Jesus, like the penalty for sin. And you you play out what happened on the cross and it's how can we minimize it? How can we, how can we brush it aside? So for me, I mean, I don't know if every woman shares that sentiment, you know, with pain and childbirth, but for me, that's what keeps my heart in check of knowing this costs somebody something and let it not, let it not be me. Like, I don't want to harden my heart toward that type of sensitivity of what it costs, not only those around me, but the Lord. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there really is such wisdom in um, preaching the gospel to ourselves mm-hmm. again and again, um, because that's what kind of got me to a turning point where I was like, yeah, Renee, it's your sin. <laughs> you know, it's it's your sin that Jesus um, paid the price for. And mm-hmm. not just everybody else's. He didn't just give you a boost to live a better life. You were already pretty good. And he's your little boost. No, he he's your only way to God. He's your only access. And it requires complete forgiveness. And once that gets down into my body and soul, I'm a lot quicker to um, have genuine sorrow over my sin and forgive um, others when I'm sinned against, which leads to, you know, the, the problem of temptation, which you address, you said, going back again and again into temptation, lies and deceit that will harden your heart. Um, I mean, that's Roman one, Romans one, right? You know, if you continue to walk in darkness, you know, you'll call up, down and down up and you'll, right. you'll be deceived. Right. Anytime, How do you think that? Yeah. Anytime we know we're in defiance against the Lord or against a spouse or against our kids or against a friend or whoever, there is something, although we try to deny it, although we try to excuse it away, we try to lie about it, we try to make it, you know, covered and pretty, like we can't, it will eat away at our souls. And, and I love the picture that Hosea gives that the Lord is a jealous God and that there's a thorn bush of like a hedge of protection around us, which means if we try to walk away, it gets painful. It gets painful for us. It gets painful for those around us. And just like thorns, you know, if it's a hedge, a thorn bush of protection, like thorns hurt. So the Lord's not going to make it easy when we try to, when we try to walk away from what he knows is best. So anytime we harden our hearts, anytime we try to just deceive ourselves and think we are better than we are, it doesn't go well for, for us or our spouses or our kids. Or it's, mm-hmm. I know this one's just on marriage, but really you can apply this idea of hardness of heart to any, any human relationship in, as well as our hearts before the Lord. We just, uh, I just heard a thing recently um, where I can't remember who said it, but the guy was talking about how God says, you know, he will cleanse and forgive every sin. And so we go to God and we say, please forgive me for whatever. And he's like, okay, cleansed and forgiven. And we go right back to doing what we were, what we were doing before. We go right back to deceit. We go right back to our behaviors. Um, And we come, come back to God. I'm so sorry for doing this. And he's like, cleansed and forgiven. But James tells us the only way to get healing is to confess that to another person. So you can be cleansed and forgiven all day long. God's like, no big deal. Did that, did that. But you're not going to be healed until somebody else knows about it. So I think there's a lot of times we think, okay, I can do this on my own. It's just between me and God. It's this personal matter. You don't have to, even my spouse doesn't have to know about it. Um, Even if it's against my spouse, he doesn't have to know about it. But uh, that's not what James says. No. Um, Yes, God will cleanse and forgive you all day long, but it doesn't mean you're going to get healed from it unless you're telling another person with flesh on their bones, this is where I'm at. So good. I need somebody else and I need some accountability. Yeah. And I think too, when you look at David in the Psalms, like God doesn't want just our offering. He doesn't want us to just bring him even an apology or sorry, what he wants is a broken heart, like a broken and contrite heart that recognizes this costs somebody something. And it, and that cost is sincere. It's a big cost. So yes, it's repenting to someone around you. It's taking responsibility. And that was a big difference between 
my parents' relationship and one of my, you know, my friend's relationship is one came to the light willingly, openly, repentant. The other did not and got caught. And I think that that really does play into the story because when one is not ready and was was perfectly content at the time of hiding and trying to pretend it wasn't there, trying to excuse it away, trying to point the finger, saying it was somebody else, that that desire to remain hidden hadn't yet, you know, like, I just, I don't know how to describe it besides like, it, I really do think that that is one of the key things that played out in one ending and one thriving because, you know, my dad was not willing to come to the light, unfortunately, and he did get caught and he did get found out. And not only do you have to deal with um, the shame of all of that, but just the ramification of just not owning it. Like had he just come and owned it, it could have potentially, I can't say would have, but it could have potentially mm-hmm. saved the marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. What about uh, choosing to think of yourself as most important or choosing what's best for yourself and not the other person? Um, how does yeah. that, yeah, how is that hard hearted? How is that? Isn't that just selfishness? It is. But when you put your own needs first and you dig your heels in and you think, well, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I deserve. You're going down a path where you're really closing your heart off to what love truly is. If love really is laying your life down for the sake of another, and yet you're choosing in that moment to elevate self at the expense of another, like that is hard heartedness. That is saying, I don't care to love. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to extend kindness, I'm going to keep it for myself and get what I want, what I deserve. And that is, it's, it's selfishness, but I don't know what else that is besides hardness of heart. Anytime we're selfish like that, we're just hardening our heart to say me first. Yeah. I just, Renee, I just sent you this thing the other day. I think it was by Tim Ross. It was from Instagram. I, I just loved it so much. I'm going to try to recreate it. He was talking about, um, you know, when we get married, we come to this altar and it's an altar. It's not a water slide. It's an altar. That's where you go to sacrifice things. That's where things go to die. Um, You're not coming to this altar to live happily ever after. You're coming to this altar to die so that you can be happy. So when we sit and say, oh, no, 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 like I'm just moody. I'm just, I'm just um, promiscuous or I'm just, I've always been a liar. Like I'm not changing for you. You did not come to that altar to die. That, and if you're not willing to change for your spouse, if you're not willing to be open to your spouse, then you got some, you're saying you're also not willing to do that for God. But what's crazy in this upside down world called grace, I mean, right? Like it is so backwards. What is, what is up is down. What is down is up. It, in, in giving up our lives, it does cost us something, but that's where true life is found. In, in pouring out ourselves as Jesus did for others, that's where hope and peace and joy, those things are found. But yet you don't think that, right? You think preserving self, looking out for self, making sure self is happy and content and satisfied. You think in your normal mind that that is where happiness is. And yet it's so, it's so backwards, isn't it? I think that um, the concept of a soulmate also works against us here um, in this hardness of heart, um, because it's a way we let ourselves off the hook, you know, well, maybe the, I picked the wrong person. Maybe this person's not my soulmate. Uh, Tim Keller uh, preached um, on that and said he thought we had come to that worldview because we had given up on God. 
that God, God is the one who extends perfect grace to us, who wants that relationship with us and enables us to be in relationship with lots of different people. I mean, it's kind of shocking to say, you know, I could have married different, different people and had different, a different kind of marriage and made it work. Like there's not one person as much as I'm thrilled and grateful for the, for the person i I have, I remember thinking that in the nineties, like, well, I'm just a girl from Tennessee and I'm in school in Arkansas and just goes, just, I just think that probably circumstances would dictate that I'd marry somebody in proximity to me. Is there a soulmate for me in Africa, in China? (laughs) You know, you think of the big wide world. One single person in this sea of humans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I think we can let ourselves off the hook and and harden our hearts because we start to think when things are hard, oh, maybe I chose wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is just that grass is green on the other side. Like you start to really lift up or, you know, imagine the perfections of someone else and you measure that against the imperfections of what you actually have. And it's easy to sort of create this fairy tale existence of, what could have been here versus what's real here. And it's all a lie. I mean, I think it would not be, I think it would be normal if, if everyone was really honest that, that all of us at some point in our marriage thought we've married the wrong person and myself <laughs> included. I think at times he's probably thought, what did I do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's a normal thing. And yet you dig in and, and it really Marriage is not built on that altar. It's built on like the cold bathroom floors crying together over, you know, needing to forgive one another or grieving the loss of something together. Like that's your person. It's who you cut covenant with. It's not the person that like meets all these comfort expectations or, you know, false realities that you have. But I do, I think, I think movies play a lot into that you know, and they lived happily ever after. Like, really, did they? Because um, are we missing something? Because not everything is all happy. It's not all, you know, rainbows and sunshine. But but I think movies play a lot into that. Culture plays a lot into that. I do feel like this um, this idea of not being able to weather hard storms, because they're going to come. Like, they're going to come. And I tell my, my kids, my older teenager kids, like, find a spouse that handles conflict well, because you're going to have conflict. And it'd be, it'd be odd if you didn't. So find somebody that really does handle conflict well, because that's your person. It's not your soulmate. You just need to find somebody who's going to fight with you, not just for you. Mm. Mm. So good. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Oh. What's some other ones that you liked, Bonnie? Um, that list? Tearing down with words. I think women are really good at that. <laughs> We're very verbal. And sometimes we seem to know the exact right thing to say. Um, and our spouses need to know that they have what it takes and that they are good enough and to do the opposite of that. Oh, this really tears people down. I think, I think women have a lot of power in our tongues and I, you know, I kind of word it in this way. Like if, if a word picture were to come to mind, it's kind of like the rudder of a ship. You can steer the home and marriage a direction, and then you can steer it back. and And those words really can tear down your spouse, your children, your ho- your whole home. Really can be lit on fire with words spoken in those moments of anger, spoken in those moments of rage, where we think we know, and 
And then really in a calmer moment, you know, those are not things you'd ever want to say, but the fire's already started. Like what, what damage has been done has already been done. Now, obviously there's, there's grace and there's repentance to be able to come back and say, you know, mommy didn't handle that right. Or sweetheart, I didn't handle that right. But apart from that, I mean, we really, we do, we have a lot of power in our mouths. And I do think it's just, it is that recognition, not just to point that out in our spouse, because sometimes our husbands can have that fire too, but it is just recognizing it first in ourselves saying, okay, how, how can I tame the tongue? Like, Lord, help me. I need your grace more than anybody. Yeah. And when we, when we do something like that, um, we start to, to justify, right? So like, oh, well, I'm not as bad as this person or, well, I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't provoked or, uh, yeah, I, I have to control the situation. So I had to speak up. Right. Uh, you can't excuse it. I mean, all the things. Yeah. And waiting for the other person to say sorry first, which I was very guilty of. Me too. So guilty of. Me too. David was so good. What a grace God gave me that he was always so quick to try to repair. And I think that that is not a common thing. And I'm just recognizing it for the gift that it is and was to our marriage in those early years. Especially. Yeah. I think the common thing is there's a breakdown, there's some kind of conflict and um, yeah, one person retreats and doesn't repair. The repair never happens. And then maybe the next morning you get up and we're just going to brush that under the rug and no one ever says another word about it. And you so where a hard heart can come from so much resentment. Pile up enough of those and that rug is not flat anymore. I mean, maybe you could get away with that for a short amount of time, but then before long, I mean, it's, it's a mound in the middle of your home that hasn't been dealt with. And how do you untangle that? Like, I think that's why my desire was to write such a long list because these really are, if you look at it, they can be so little, these little instances. I wrote another blog post about tostadas. And there was this one night, my husband and I, I was making dinner and I'd never made tostadas before. And he came in and he said this kind of curt kind of humor. I mean, he has, he has a great sense of humor in that moment though. I didn't think it was funny, but he's like, do you even know how to make tostadas? And I'm like in the process of doing it. Right. And he was trying to be funny. And I was like mad because, you know, I'm tending to all these kids and how dare you think I don't know how to make tostadas. That's what I told you I'm doing. Like I just was mad, but like literally our marriage could have ended over that tostadas comment. Because if I would have hardened my heart, which I did in the moment, because I was mad, he made this dumb comment, like, that's clearly what I'm doing. I I was mad. Well, then he's mad that I'm mad because I'm mad about something really stupid. And like, you know how it goes. Like now, coldness, yep. there's distance. And when you really think about it, like, okay, could our marriage have ended over tostadas? Yeah, it could have. Because that fight could have turned into a bigger fight, could have turned into, and then you use words like always, and you never, and and then before long, you've just got this billowing problem that started over tostadas. <laughs> like, it would <laughs> be so small. Right. The always and never thing. Wow. I think that's so common because maybe you have a tostada moment like that, and you that's your map. That's your GPS now for your person. And um, the next time dinner comes up and there's another comment made, well, that just goes right into the GPS map for the tostadas. That's a file that under tostadas. That's <laughs> another one. And um, 10 years down the road, 
maybe he's not even thinking about tostadas like that. He never meant that. That was never his intention. But you have this whole new map of this person. That's not even who that person is. And you haven't updated your maps yet. And I think we tend to get stuck in the past or whatever our original version of um, imperfections are. And we forget to update the maps and allow for people to grow and change. I completely agree. And we just hold on to those things. And we, even if he didn't mean it, there's the ability that I have to hold on to it as if he did. And that's wrong. You know, for me to just count these wrong and pile them up, I wouldn't want anyone doing that to me. So why do I then think I have the liberty to do that to him? Now we joke about the tostada story. Like I'm making tostada. Yes, I know how. And he's like, <laughs> you really can. If you really do deal with it, soften your hearts. You know, I'm sorry. I completely overreacted. Like I didn't need to make it sound like you made the comment, you know, to degrade me or whatever. Like, no, I never made to like, you have to talk through it. And he's like, you know what? I'm sorry. I could have just said, thanks for making dinner. And he didn't have to even offer that. He wasn't trying to, to be unkind, but he can soften his heart to even own something he didn't even need to own in that moment. And we can make amends and we really can just put that to rest. And now it can be something joyful. Now it can be something funny. Now it's a story we tell our kids like, oh, mom's making tostadas. Kids, can you help her? She doesn't know. How. But if, if not, if we would have let that just fester and never talked about it, both of us hardened our hearts and then just wait long enough until the time passes and then just sort of move on. You never really move on. You never get to that point where you can laugh about it because it still stings. And, you know, I never saw him for what he was really trying to do. He never saw me for what I was really trying to do. You just hold on to it. And then you just build this wall against your spouse. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. It's little stuff like that. Is little to the other person, but it's not so little to you. And that comes from somewhere. And I think when you're resolving or repairing, it's useful. Not all of us have the tools to do it when we're first married and 20 or something or whatever. But by the time you get down the road a little bit where we are 30 years in, boy, if I could have gone back and recognized, been a little more self-aware and said, you know, I think the reason I reacted so strongly to that is because I got nothing but criticism as a kid. And I expected more from that, from you than that. But to not be aware of that and to just react every time I'm criticized into this, you know, chaotic anger machine or whatever it is, um, does nobody any good. I have no, no idea where that's coming from, why I've reacted that way, how to change that in the future, because I don't know the source of it. Right. Yeah. And I think one thing and that, I mean, that's, it's a beautiful heart that you have because you guys have gotten to this place where, you know, these truths, you know, these things, you know, so much that you know could help the next upcoming generation. And you're you're pouring into people, you're pouring into women that need to know that on the front end. And so I think it's great to even encourage wives and encourage moms to say, it's okay to take a step back. And I know in our last episode, we talked about counseling or a trusted friend or someone that you really can go to, to help kind of dig up those things. Because I think a lot of times in those early years, you don't realize there is something else underneath. And it takes a little while to kind of pick apart. You know, I think you come into marriage thinking you come from something normal. And then when you're encountered with another family, you think that's not normal. But in reality, neither is normal. You're trying to create your own new normal. But that's a that's I mean, it's like it's like rubbing, you know, it's iron sharpening iron, which is not comfortable. But I do think it's it goes back to that part in the article, too, where I talked about um, it's the idea of like passing the buck. I think it was something we'd said about passing off 
um, like excusing our own sin because somebody else started it. And this was, this was actually said to me about my parents' affair. There is problem A and there is problem B. And problem B would have never happened had problem A not first happened. And basically he was blaming my mom for anger and then justifying the affair. And, you know, I can't deny or, or confirm my mom's anger, but I don't think in any way problem B is excused because there was a problem A. And I think we can do that. We can look at that on a massive scale, like when you're talking about infidelity, but we can do that on a small scale when you're talking about testatus. Even if I didn't like that comment, even if he had said something really sarcastic and degrading, does it justify me behaving in a way that doesn't honor the Lord? It doesn't, you know? So I think it's just that idea of accountability for our own selves of saying, okay, I'm responsible for me no matter what happens around me. There isn't a problem A that justifies a problem B. That will never be true. Right. There's the difference between an explanation for something and an excuse for something. That's a good word right there. Yeah. Next podcast session right there. <laughs> podcast I mean, yeah. Explanations can be, I mean, it's tough. You're dealing with a spouse with an addiction or, um, you know, chronic, some chronic problems um, to realize that that's an explanation. I get that. That's an exp- explanation, but you don't get to use that as an excuse to continue with whatever it is. You still need to take ownership of that and, and deal with it. It's true for all of us. I know one thing we love to say in our home is that God loves you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to keep you there. Like we need to always be growing, always be pursuing, you know, growth. It's, we can't excuse ourselves. I want to ask you about forgiveness because you have several yeah. um, ways to come at forgiveness um, in your list. You have refusing to forgive, refusing to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness, saying you forgive, but never letting go asking for forgiveness and then doing the same thing again. And I've talked to to women and I've observed myself as well. And we say, oh yeah, I've forgiven that. But have you really, (laughs) have you really forgiven? Because you're acting like you haven't (laughs) forgiven. So like if I remember something, an interaction with David and I still have just the teeniest little charge, like, it was say it was a seven, but now it's a three. Well, to me now, my 52 year old self would say, okay, Renee, well, you have, you have done some work, but you're not down to a zero there. So, so you need to, you need to continue to to press in for forgiveness till it's, till you feel like you've emptied that cup of bitterness where Jesus can fill you. Talk about forgiveness and, and all of its aspects, will you? Yeah. Forgiveness, I think in a lot of ways is like grief where when you're grieving the loss of something, you can grieve it initially. So let's say, you know, we've had, I think I mentioned to you the last time we had two miscarriages. You can grieve the loss of that baby, um, but but it comes back. And sometimes you have to re-grieve and that's okay. It's just making the space to do that. And forgiveness is a lot like that. You can forgive and initially just say, yes, I forgive. But something else can possibly trigger that. And you have to re-enter that cycle again and say, okay, I'm choosing again today in this moment to forgive yet again. And you're walking back that through. And so you're not, I think it's wrong for us to say, well, one and done, you forgive and you move on because sometimes wounds feel like grief. They, they cycle back and it's just part of our humanity. 
and it's okay. It's not, you know, pointing the finger at our spouse saying, you just haven't forgiven me. It's, it's allowing the space for one another to say, you know, I'm struggling with this again. Like help walk me through this. Like remind me what you said to me, or even after a genuine apology, writing it down and making sure you remember the parts that you know were genuine from your spouse so that you can remember and help yourself do that and not always go to your spouse. Like tell, tell me, sorry, again. T- say sorry again. Like, you know, to remember, cause I think, you know, when we, when we go for a ways, like it's okay if it comes back up again, it is just taking the time to, to redeal with it again. That is so wise, mm. practical, practical advice. I'm, I'm learning to embrace the notes app on my phone. I think that's so wise to just, like, yeah, why wouldn't you want to make a note of the ways they apologize to you so you can go back? I mean, I do that with with scripture. Like, I want to, I got to go back and remind myself of things, and I want it right there at my fingertips where I can just pull it up. And sometimes when we're tired or we're overwhelmed or like some other trigger comes up, we kind of forget the best parts of maybe an apology, and we only remember, you know, the two or the three that wasn't dealt with, and we highlight those. And I think it is important to keep remembering. No, I did. I was able to deal with that. But then there's the flip side too of like a spouse or someone in relationship that you're in relationship with that does just continue to keep wronging you like over and over and over again, where it's not just forgiveness. You're dealing with piles and piles of new, new struggles, new suffering, new trauma, whatever it might be. And that's different. You know, that's a different ballgame too. So just let's just say it again, it, that just because you've said in the moment, I forgive you, when you have those feelings come back up, address them, get curious about them. And, you know, I know the last time we talked to I really had talked a lot about lament and what I've been learning lately, too. And sometimes it is just talking to the Lord. Like, I know my mom's heart broke learning about my dad's adultery and and for her to be able, you know, to go to the Lord and say, this stings, this hurts, this is painful. Like in that time, he, he was in and out and in and out. And I don't, I don't know that she could have gone to him, you know, maybe to a trusted friend for a long time, even us kids, we didn't know. So she was kind of alone in some of that season. But I think for anybody in that type of struggle, whether it's adultery or some other type of struggle, like it, it really, there is no um, healing apart from the presence of the Lord. And that's where lament does come in again in this topic too, of just crying out to the Lord, like I'm struggling, I'm wrestling with this, please meet me where I'm at. And the Psalms are really helpful. It's really vulnerable, you know, speech that's written out of like, it's okay to say that. Like I really can say those things. And and the answer is yes, like take it to the Lord because there's really no hope outside of his presence. So good. Oh, good. Oh, my goodness. So good. Which brings us to one of the ones I love as well. You have on here magnifying the weaknesses and minimizing the strengths of the other while doing the opposite for yourself. Yeah, I think I think it is just that plank in the eye, you know, verse where we love to just be like, well, that was a really big deal. What did you say? I hate the plank in the eye verse. I hate that verse. It's love hate, isn't it? It's so good. But ouch. But yeah, it is just that idea of like everybody else's sin is so obvious to us and yet we don't see our own. And that's the gift of the body. That's the gift, honestly, of marriage. My spouse sees my sin far more clearly than I do. And guess what? I see his more clearly than he does. But that's where we we sharpen one another. If I continue to not harden my heart, he'll only make me better by pointing out 
you know, my sin. It's a gift to be shown that it's a gift to get to repent. I don't want to be blind to my sin. And yet I am. The Bible tells me I am. I am blind to my own sin. But it's how we do that. I think that's important. I think we can degrade. We can use our tongues to just lash out and harsh, you know, harsh words, harsh tones, harsh attitudes. But yeah, if we really look at what marriage is for, to strengthen one another, to grow us up into the image of Jesus himself, like how do we do that if none of us are teachable? It's impossible. So we have to be teachable. We have to be able to be also good teachers to sharpen one another. Do you think, I mean, in an ideal situation, both spouses are working on themselves in all these areas, right? So can do you think that um, if one person just decides, hey, I'm going to do all these things. I'm not going to harden my heart. What what chance do you think people have? You know, that's a hard one because I think it's hard to say. I think if anything, the encouragement with that is our obedience is to the Lord. It's not for an outcome. It's before the Lord. My integrity before the Lord matters. And at any point, we can harden our own hearts to someone else hardening their hearts to us. But my obedience is to him and to him alone. So it doesn't matter what circumstances come out of that. My spouse could treat me really poorly. And yet my obedience, my treatment of him is for the Lord. I've received much from God. I've received forgiveness. I've received love. I technically am full when I enter marriage. I'm not looking to my spouse to fill me for anything. But the same is true in conflict. The same is true with you know, an, a spouse behaving in a way that maybe you wouldn't prefer. So if I come to the relationship full, then I'm not dependent on his actions any more than he's dependent on mine. And I think that's that's the key to marriage, if I'm honest. We can't look to our spouse to fill us in a way we're not meant to be filled. So to a, to a woman, you know, obviously I think your target audience is, is women. And if, if there's a woman saying, I'm doing this, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing the things that you're talking about and yet there isn't fruit. You know, I would weep with her. I would hold her and hug her and say, stay the course. Now I have to separate this because if a woman is in a, an abusive situation, if, if the adultery is repeated and unrepentant and you just keep go, that spouse keeps going and going, it's probably time to get out. Like I would hold her and be like, baby girl, like it's time. Like this is not, you know, what the Lord has, but I think you can't just blanket statement that either. If a woman feels called to stay and and there's good reason as to why that her hope and desire is to love him with the love of the Lord and in, in the prayer that she could win him, that would be amazing. That would be a beautiful story, but there's just no way to do that. As far as percentages, I just would say, Stay the course, seek counsel, like help, have others help you through that. But your obedience is before the Lord, not for, not for an outcome. So good. Yeah, so absolutely. Good. That is a tendency and it's a tendency of mine. Well, okay, I'm going to be nice. So that dot, 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 you know, I'm going to get this certain reaction or he's going to be sorry that he said this or <laughs> whatever it is. Instead of, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do these things because it's the right thing to do. And I called it is we manipulate. We try to like do this and do that to get this or get that. That's just, that's straight up manipulation. Like that's not obedience before the Lord. Like, like, oh, woe to me. Like, here I go again. Like I've done the same, the same thing. I don't want my spouse to do. I've just done, you know? Yeah. But the other thing too, I know that we talked about in the other podcast when it comes to mothering is this idea that like, 
looking past what our spouse's words are saying to get to the heart. And I think what you guys are talking about with even bringing up childhood issues or childhood wounds or different ways that we've interacted with other humans before we got married, it really, really is impactful. How our personalities are built, the other life experiences we've had, we bring all of that into this marriage. And anger is oftentimes, I said this in the last one too, but anger oftentimes is just the red flag. It, there's yep. something under the water. There's something going on. And even just yesterday, my husband and I were both struggling a lot with anger. And both of us had to stop and be like, what's happening here? It's not him. It wasn't me. We're actually really sad about something else that's happening. And yet it's showing up in this, these short tempers. And if we didn't have the discernment to be like, wait, what's going on with you? Oh, wait you're going through the same thing. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's not you. It's not me. Like we have to actually talk about what's underneath the surface. I think that kind of marriage is the softest kinds of hearts you could think of. Cause it's not perfection. It's saying, I'm willing to work with you. Like I'm willing to be patient with you. I'm willing to long suffer with you. Even when I see what's on the surface, we'll go deeper. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. You say that all the time, Bonnie, that ang- it's almost never the anger. Yeah. Oh, it's almost never. It's almost anger. It's almost never just anger. Uh-huh. And fear is almost never fear. But that's true. We've just done the same thing recently. Same exact, same exact thing. Why are you so snippy? Why are you so snippy? <laughs> oh, and then we just kind of look at you and go, oh, <laughs> yeah, we get it. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was, I was talking to your husband, Bonnie, the other day, just pondering because at our age, we do see a lot of people just giving up and saying, you know what? I, I only, I only see this much life left down the road. I don't think I can do it with you. I'm done. And my question was, you know, what if they had done that 20 years ago? You know, like what? And he's like, I think that's the the wrong question. He said, I think that no matter who you marry, that's your person that's best able to show you what needs to be dealt with. And when you decide to stop working together, on what God wants to do in you, then it's done. Mm-hmm. You're done. And that was really profound because, because on the one hand, you know, when we're, you're in your fifties and you see people who've been fighting for their marriages and then they probably just get tired. They just seem to get tired and, and go, you know what? Yeah. There's gotta be something easier out there for me. Oh, but you know, what could be so cool? What could be so redeeming and amazing is to admit that and say, yeah, we've been fighting for this marriage and it hasn't worked and you've not worked and I've been terrible and all these things. So let's put that marriage to death. Let's kill it, put it to death. But that doesn't mean we have to go on without each other. Like if we both have soft hearts, if we both are willing and realize the way we've been doing marriage is not working, you can resurrect and create a whole new marriage with the same two people and resolve together. Like mm-hmm. go to the altar, renew your vows and do over. And it can actually work that way. If you And if you put it in those terms and think of it in those terms, like, okay, that marriage is dead, but we're not going to separate. We're going to keep on going mm-hmm. as two different people and have a new marriage together. I think that's such a better way to look at life. I don't know. than just saying, oh, the heck with it. We're done. I'm done with you. You're done with me. We're both tired. Yeah. I think the lie is out there that, you got to live your best life now. And that clock is ticking. So you better do whatever it is that makes you most happy now. And yet this chase, this constant pursuit of happiness isn't the same as holiness. And yet the pursuit of holiness is painful. 
I want to know specifics about your friends. What did it look like for them to soften their hearts to one another? Can you talk about that? Yeah, it was, it was brutal. If I'm honest, um, I got a phone call really late at night to come over. It was after one of my daughter's ballet shows. So it was like really late at night. And it's one of those phone calls. You're like, why are you even calling me? And then they wanted me to come over right that minute. But my friend just couldn't wait. She couldn't, she couldn't wait to take responsibility. It was so in her heart to come clean. And I think like, again, when you compare that to the story of my parents, like that was not the case at all. So to see her eagerness, one, I think just brought me a lot of comfort and her husband had just found out. And yet she was also trying to own and take responsibility to me. There were a lot of lies to me. We were really close and there were a lot of things that were just kind of, you know, intentionally covered intentionally deceived about. And so there was repentance to him and to me, but then it just began this journey, right. Of like so many sessions, I guess, like counseling sessions. Um, they didn't tell a lot of people. It was just us for a little while, but I mean, to watch, watch the husband, I mean, he came undone. Like I still kind of get choked up thinking about him because they would come to our house and you could just tell, like he had to hear the story. He had to know exactly what happened, but yet hearing it is exactly the opposite of what he, what he wanted. Like it cost him so much. And I just have the utmost respect for both of them because they hung with each other. I mean, but the, the husband had to get up and like run down the street at some point because it's so painful to hear. And then, you know, for her, she had to hang there. She had to say, there's more, there's more. Like, I can't, I know this is so heavy for you, but there's even more. And to get through that whole season of undoing all the lies, undoing all the stories, re-piecing together what really happened so that they can walk in newness and in light and, and in oneness, it was unbelievably painful and costly. But yet you look at the aftermath. I mean, you have a couple that's just like, that's too hard. I'm not even going to go there. Like, I could see why. I, there's a lot of compassion in my heart. I could see why. That costs us all a lot. And But there's fruit. I mean, there's just so much fruit. And it didn't go away. You know, when I talked about forgiveness, it kind of bubbles back up. There's things even recent that they have to still work through because it comes back up in a different way. It brings back or triggers old feelings but it's just one more chance to say, okay, I'll sit with you in this. I'll be patient with you in this. Like, yes, we need to talk about it again. And, and I think it's, it's, it takes diligence on the person that's offending um, to be willing to sit with the person offended. And it takes diligence on, on the behalf of the person offended to say, okay, I don't want to drag this up again. I really do seek for healing and not just keep regurgitating again and again, but I have to be open to say I'm, I'm struggling again. And I think even in that, like we could still harden our hearts to say enough, like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And, you know, but gosh, it was, it was painful, but so beautiful. They're still thriving even now. How do you think she got to that point where she was so eager? That's a good question too. I mean, I want to say the grace of God, but I hesitate to say that because then somebody else who's not repentant will say, well, I just wasn't given that grace. And I don't want that to be an excuse. But I do think there is a sensitivity to the spirit that he, he will always, the Holy Spirit will always prompt our hearts when we try to hide, when we try to run, when we try to cover, there's always something. If we truly do know the Lord and the spirit of God resides in us, there's something that says something's amiss, something is off. 
And that's where this thing of hardness of heart comes into play because we shut that off and say, no, I will not respond to that. I want to do what I want to do. At some point you just sear it. Like you say, it's dead to me, you know, but for my friend, I don't, I don't think she could do it. I think she, she knew in her heart of hearts, what she was doing was wrong. And she didn't allow herself, although hardened in many instances and trying to sear it off. I don't think she let it fully happen. And finally, I think the Lord just wore her down and it got to the point. She just couldn't stomach her own sin and just had, had to come forward, but it cost her a lot, you know? Sure. Yeah. Really good. But I Um, will say though, in the aftermath of that, I think those are the things that really do divide, have the potential to divide. It could have ruined our friendship too, but she is one of my closest friends because of that. Like you don't walk through that type of trauma and gut it out with somebody and then not experience depth of relationship like no other. Like in times of my relationships of friends that are just really easy and really comfortable and you never really go through anything hard. There's a different depth to this one that I don't know that I'll ever in my life get over. Like there's just a sweetness and a tenderness and a trust knowing, you know, she's gone to that point with me. Like she has my heart, you know? Yeah. And Satan tries to tell us just the opposite, that if you, right. if they really know who you are, they'll never love you. Right. Or it's over. It's over if they really know. And that's, that's lies. God's True. economy is, as we started with Bonnie, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Yeah. And you, you do, you see that um, when you bear another's burden in that way, and it is a burden to, yeah. to hear a confession. Um, it does. Right. And it's your heart together. Mm-hmm. One of the um, passages that came to mind when we were reading your article, which I guess we just have to say, because it's, this is it. <laughs> this is where it's all at was the question um, that the Pharisees had about just divorce in Matthew 19, eight. And Jesus's answer was because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it wasn't. So Jesus said, Moses allowed divorce because of your hardness of heart. It all comes back to that. It just all is laid at the feet of your heart. Yeah, absolutely. The feet of your heart. <laughs> does your heart have feet? Does Maybe your heart does. have feet? The feet of your heart. That's right. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you're not living uh, at peace with your spouse, we would encourage you to stop and just begin with prayer and ask God what it is you need to hear, where you need to grow, what you need to change, how you need to confess your sins. And, and start to get that healing. If you feel like your heart is hard, God wants to soften it. It's not over. As you said about your friend, if there's a glimmer of hope there, yeah. if you said enough, God's willing to say, okay, yeah, let's let enough be enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every day is a new day. His mercies are new every morning. So it's, it's a time now to repent. It's okay, you know, to turn now. Like there's no, there's no, no need to delay. I, I feel like Meg should just pray over our listeners. Yeah, will you will you pray over them right now? Yeah, I would love to. I would love to. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for these two women. I love their heart and I love the passion that you've given them to pour into women and moms and wives. And Lord, we lack wisdom, and you tell us um, in your word that if we ask for wisdom, you'll give it. So, Lord, I thank you that they've given of their time, of their resources, of their um, hearts in order to come alongside um, 
moms and women that, that really could need encouragement and, and just um, the spurring on to continue to seek you. Lord, I pray for the women listening, Lord, for those who find themselves hardened. Lord, I, I ask that you would soften in the ways that only you can. I ask that you would prick their conscience. I, I ask that even it just if it's a mustard seed of faith that they have, Lord, I pray that you would take that um, and move mountains with it. I pray that they would see your faithfulness, that they would trust your hand, that they would chase after righteousness and not just the desire to be right. Lord, I pray that they would um, live lives that would honor you regardless of the outcome, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what um, their spouse might do or say in return. And Lord, I pray for those who are enduring a, a season of having soft hearts and yet being met with hardness. Lord, I pray that you encourage them. I pray that you'd bind up their hearts, that they would be um, soft toward you, that they would be steadfast, that they would not turn to the left or to the right, that they would look straight into your eyes, knowing that they are walking in obedience to you, that you are pleased with them and that you see them as a good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray for marriages um, that are impacted or that have heard of this podcast, Lord, for all who listen, whether it be a husband or a wife, I pray for marriages to be healed. I pray that they would get to the root issue and not just spin around on the surface issues. Lord, I pray that they would have eyes to see one another, their hearts, and not just what's coming out of their mouths. I pray you'd knit them back together in, in a beautiful way that can only be attested and ascribed to you. And Lord, I pray in that unity that you would be glorified in a huge way, that families would be changed, that, that culture would shift because there's a people that honor you and glorify you with soft hearts. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made for all of our sin, uh, mine first. Lord, I pray um, that we would not look lightly on our sin, that we would take responsibility because Jesus truly did pay it all. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, round two. You made me cry again. Oh, you have such a tender heart. I love you guys so much. Oh my goodness. Well, I just wanted to reiterate, you said it in the first podcast that motherhood is not meant to destroy us and marriage is not meant to destroy us either. God meant it for our glory, his glory and our good. So um just take heart for that and, mm -hmm. and remember that every day in your marriage. It's not, this is not meant to destroy us. Yeah. I just thought that was a good word too. Yeah. Well, Meg, man, yeah. thanks again for being with us again. We need to go to Texas. <laughs> yes, we should. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Oh. Thank well, you guys so much. It, I love getting to talk with you guys. It's always a joy. So thank you so much. It's been such a blessing and I, I do trust that God's going to use it to bless so many marriages untold. We'll only know yeah. on the other side of glory of marriages yeah. that are blessed. So um, you can check out our show notes um, always on justaskyourmom.com and you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and take five seconds to rate and review the podcast and share us with your friends and family. And if you have topic suggestions, send them to us at justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. So we'll see you next time on Just, Just Ask, Ask Your Mom. Mom.